to So What You're Saying Is, I'm Peter Whittle. Now, I'm delighted that my guest this week is someone who's been on the show before. Andrew Clavin is the host of the appropriately named Andrew Clavin Show on the Daily Wire in America. He's also an award-winning crime novelist, and some of his books have been made into major Hollywood movies. Um, thank you very much for coming on today, Andrew. Um, Oh, yeah, it's good to see you. I, I wanted to start by saying the Daily Wire, when I came to see you last year, where you were, you were based in Los Angeles, um, but you are moving, are you not? They're moving to Nashville, yeah. The uh, city has just become intolerable. It's not a good place for business. It's not a good place for life. It's not a good place for property values. The younger people of the Daily Wire can't afford homes where in Nashville they can. And Nashville is gathering a lot of steam as a creative community. So it's a smart move. So are there other, I mean, you mentioned there are things that are quite material. I mean, they, they're very common, they're very familiar to us in London. But is it also, is the atmosphere, you know, and the kind of cultural sense in LA is also pretty hostile now, isn't it? It's very hostile. The thing about LA is that even though it's always been the most liberal of liberal cities, it attracts people who are a little bit rebellious, a little bit individualistic, uh, people who are willing to take a risk to make it in Hollywood. Uh, and so there's always been a little bit of a balance, even though politically they were left wing in their hearts, they were very capitalistic and individualistic. But now yeah. it's just being governed, the whole state and the city are being governed so very badly and so much from the left. The Republican Party virtually has ceased to exist in the state that it's, it's just becoming a, uh, an absurd place. It's on fire because of their environmental rules. It is, uh, we haven't got enough electricity because of their environmental rules. They pass these kind of fantasy left-wing laws uh, and taxes that no one can afford. And it's, it's really, they're really driving paradise. They're turning paradise into a parking lot. Are you actually gonna go to Nashville yourself? Uh, we're, we're talking about it. I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time with the idea of moving there because of family issues and, uh, and work that I still do here. So we're having uh, very friendly negotiations about how we can move forward in some way where I won't have to break my ties to them, but can continue uh, living, living here for a while. And then eventually I'm going to get out of here, too, I think. Funny, you know, uh, this is uh, last night. I just think I think it was uh, Dave Rubin put up a clip. Um, of, for example, just an incident in Los Angeles. I don't, could you m maybe uh, explain to us what happened, but it was to someone apparently being carjacked. This was, it looked yes, like pretty uh, central. What's happening is across the country, there have been these ongoing uh, riots and demonstrations by the Black Lives Matter organization, which despite its appealing name is actually just a Marxist uh, terrorist organization. And uh, Antifa, which is supposed to stand for anti-fascist, but my joke is that in Antifa, the FA stands for fascist and the anti doesn't stand for anything. So these are these masked marauders who are crowding our streets, burning things, attacking police officers. And yesterday, um, last night, they attacked, um, a, a surrounded a car. Uh, and when the car drove through the crowd just to get away, to not be dragged from the car and uh, hurt, uh, they actually chased the car with another car and, and ran it off the road. Uh, this has been happening across the country. It happened in L.A. last night, but it's happened in other places as well. Uh, these are dangerous people. And the, the 
reluctance with which left-wing governments suppress them and, and bring out police force has encouraged them and allowed them to go on and on forever. In Portland, Oregon, uh, they've been rioting without cease and protesting without cease for over a, a hundred days, over three months. And um, it, you know, it, it's absurd. And the news media keeps telling us these are mostly peaceful demonstrations, but, but that's absurd. They're burning things down and terrorizing people, uh, get, coming to people's homes and keeping them awake at night. It really is uh, a lot of our Democrat cities are out of control. And also you've had these sort of instances of people basically walking up to people, maybe eating dinner and, and essentially just sort of forcing them into what i don't know chanting or you know you know right it's it they bully them uh it really is fascist uh, fascist activity because of yeah. the um chinese flu regulations restaurants have to give us outdoor space they can't have uh indoor dining so they put their they've become a lot of outdoor cafes which can be very pleasant but a lot of these guys are attacking people in restaurants, taking their seats, looming over them with a mob and screaming at them to raise their fist and say Black Lives Matter. Uh, and, and again, this this phrase Black Lives Matter, which seems harmless, is really like Stalin coming back and renaming the Communist Party Puppies Are Nice. Uh, because we all agree that all lives matter, but what they really are doing is they're causing uh, violence and intimidation and bullying uh, in the name of a Marxist philosophy, an anti-family philosophy, an anti-American philosophy, so that you can't be fooled by the name. Well, the thing is, is that we've got that situation here. We haven't got ongoing, you know, the sort of uh, what you just uh, described, but it's certainly when it comes to Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, there was this, after this summer, there was this sudden you know, sort of capitulation on the part of all of our institutions, really. Um, and then sort of a slow realisation, oh, wait a minute, look at what this group actually stands for. But even now, you know, even now, you're still seeing, um, you know, corporations using their logo, all the rest of it. So it sort of hasn't, the penny hasn't quite dropped, or you might in fact say it has dropped, but they still support it. Well, the the... the fear of being called racist, at least in America, has been so intense and so uh, abused. They've used the fear of being called racist to push these leftist policies down the throats of everybody. Uh, and because of civil rights laws here, you can be very easily sued for any sign that your business is bigoted or unfair to black people or unfair to a number of uh, so-called minority groups. And so people are trying to get on board and it's very much like the run-up to the soviet revolution i'm sorry to say where uh, people were even people who were middle of the road liberals were signing on to this far left philosophy because it was what one did and of course the minute the uh, the communists came into power they got rid of the liberals uh, and basically snowed under the people who had supported them and so th this is a it's foolishness i mean i go on my amazon page which is mostly where I order books of, you know, romantic poetry from the 18th and 19th century. And they say, well, if you like this book by, uh, you know, John Clare, you might like this book about Black Lives Matter. And I think like, you know, no, this is ridiculous. Why is this massive uh, capitalist success uh, backing this Marxist organization? But of course, it's virtue signaling. And it, the, the terrible thing about it, the really bad thing about it, is that it's being done on the backs of our police forces. And 
and they have continually used situations in which police justifiably shot and killed or killed uh, an offender, somebody uh, resisting arrest. And one time, in the case of George Floyd, who was resisting arrest and was so stoned on fentanyl <clears throat> that the doctors said he would have died anyway, in that one case, they did, it does seem to me they overreacted and treated him badly uh, and maybe hastened his death. And so there you have a, a police officer who, who possibly acted poorly. But they take these, these, basically these criminals who have been resisting arrest, and they accuse the police of killing them in racist fashion. And every single data point proves that this is simply not so. The police are not acting in a racist way. The fact is that there is high crime in poor black neighborhoods. Uh, in, according to one study in New York, if there is a random shooting, it is being done 100% of the time, 70% of the time by a black person or 30% of the time by a Hispanic person. So if the police hear the call, shots fired, they are arriving to deal with a so-called minority member. So that's not on the police, obviously. That's a, a situation that the police are having to deal with, a social situation, whatever its causes that the police are having to deal with. So the police are being demonized. Uh, the leftists are calling to defund the police, which of course is the worst thing that could happen in these high crime areas. And it, it really is tragic that these leftist governments in some of these cities are pulling their support from the police who over the past, I call it 20, 25, 30 years, have their new policing methods have drastically brought down crime from the bad old days of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Because of uh, modernized policing, because they integrated their police forces, so the police forces look more like the community, they brought down crime from absolutely catastrophic numbers in the 70s and 80s to the spectacular uh, peaceful numbers we had in the 2000s, and now the left is doing their best to uh, bring them back to the bad old days, and already murder is spiking around the country. Uh, so it's a really, really sad situation. It is a situation where the left, uh, the terrorist left, has seized on the, uh, the disorder that came after the flu and the economic downturn that came after the flu. They've seized on that to bring about what they hope is the beginning of a revolution and what I hope is the beginning of their being uh, stomped on and arrested and, and taken off the field. On that point, uh, when one looks at the coverage from a, coming from America, um, when I speak to friends here who know America well, uh, there is a real fear that actually you are on the precipice of something, Andrew. I mean, it, it, and it's extraordinary to be saying it about America, maybe. I would have thought maybe more likely in Europe, actually. But do you think that is a wrong impression? Do you think that America is sort of on the, could be on the verge of some form of civil war? Well, I, I don't, I, if I had to guess, obviously nobody <clears throat> knows the future. I don't think we're on the verge of civil war. I think we are in danger of slipping over the edge into a uh, socialist period, which as in every country is a period of less freedom, uh, less prosperity, no equality, because all socialism does is divide the very powerful from the rest of us, uh, instead of the graded inequalities of capitalism. Uh, I don't think we're on the verge of a violent uh, civil war, but I think we're on the verge of a period when a certain number of people think that violence is a legitimate political expression, which it's not. 
And, and so I think that we're in a period where it, it, in this coming election, um, if, if Trump should win, I think there will be people who react with violence. And ultimately, you know, people will start fighting back. I mean, these, this, this is a place where there are extremists on both sides. Uh, they are both willing to commit acts of violence. And the question is, will the center hold? The problem we have is not that there are thugs in the streets, left-wing thugs and some right-wing thugs. It's not, it's not that. It is, the problem we have is that our institutions have been taken over by the left and they are encouraging the violence and turning a blind eye to the violence and lying to the public about the violence. When I talk about our institutions, I'm talking about the academies, I'm talking about our news business, which is now basically 100% corrupt. Uh, our news, our, our journalists are now 100% agents of one political party, our mainstream journalists, uh, and they are corrupt and they've been lying to us uh, about a lot of things, but one of the things they've been lying to is the level of violence coming from the left across in our cities. Uh, and of course, Hollywood and the entertainment industry, which is uniformly left. I mean, we have something like, I don't know, five, six, seven late night comedy shows, every single one of which has turned the comedy off in order to attack Donald Trump. And, if, and the Trump derangement syndrome has made everything worse. So what we're looking at is not, I think, civil war. What we're looking at is a crisis of our institutions. And the question is whether the voters are going to send a message and say, hey, clean these institutions up. Let us have some uh, dialogue in the academies, in the news media, in the entertainment business where the right has a voice as well as the left. Because we're, you know, this is, the, this is the best thing Donald Trump has done is to speak up against the news media and against the academies and say, you know, you can't just have, you, we can't just send our kids to school to college for a hundred thousand uh, dollars, you know, a minute, and have them teaching them that America is a terrible place, and that's what they do. They teach them. Uh, they their most popular uh, history book is written by a communist, Howard Zinn. Uh, they push a, a, a narrative in which America has been wrong about every single thing. Wrong in the. Cold War, it was the communists who really got it right, wrong even in World War II, not that it was the Nazis that got it right, but we were the bad guys somehow there as well. The New York Times, which used to be a newspaper, the New York Times is now, has run, ran a series called Red Century, in which they talked about how much better sex was in the Soviet Union and how much better, I mean, in the Soviet Union where families had to, you know, share a, a one-bedroom apartment, uh, sex was, I'm sure it was great until they took you away to the gulags. It was utterly insane. They then have this 1619 project in which at first they claimed that America's true founding was not 1776, but 1619 when they brought over the first slaves. Uh, when historians confronted them with the fact that this was simply inaccurate, uh, they changed the wording, but that's still what they're selling. Uh, they, they are selling, our institutions are selling hatred of America, and they are truly selling hatred of freedom. And this is the problem, Peter. It's, it's not that, you know, we're having a, we've had a summer of riots and summer of violence after this lockdown and the economic downturn and some dramatically misrepresented uh, actions by the police. It's not that. It is that the news media literally will come on TV dressing in ties and suits and, and looking great and looking right into the camera and telling us these riots are mostly peaceful uh, and telling us that they're somehow justified in their anger against the police. So what I would say is we're facing a crisis of the institutions. And I don't think what you're going to see is a violent 
civil war. What I do think you're going to see is either a reckoning. If Donald Trump is reelected, he will continue to start to clean out the Aegean stables of our media and of our uh, academies. And if he's not reelected, I think it's just going to get worse and worse. And I think that then we're in true danger of losing our unique freedoms. I lived, as you know, I lived in England for seven years. It is a wonderful country. I loved living there. I loved the people there. But the, it is not free in the same way America has been free. Uh, it is not, you are not, you do not have the same uh, freedom of speech, the same uh, freedom of individuality, the same respect for individuality. And we're in danger of losing that. That's the true danger we're facing. I think uh, was it quite interesting. You, you mentioned there, you know, about the New York Times, about the institutions. There was a very good illustration, Andrew, of that recently uh, when Trump made, I thought, a wonderful speech in front of Mount Rushmore. But the New York Times on that day happened to point out Trump gives speech in front of mon monument of slave owners, or sla whatever it was. And you sort of thought, you know, if surely that would have been a point wouldn't it if they had really sort of managed to get people to attack a monument like that you could see the civil disorder surely going way out of hand couldn't you i mean you know exactly this is what our children have been being taught i mean yeah. uh, you know it, it, it's an you know it's an interesting thing reading the past and reading history of course always brings us <clears throat> to startling moments and as cs lewis said if you don't like being startled like that you shouldn't read old books but, but, you know, we have people in our history of, of true greatness. I mean, a man like George Washington is truly one of the great men of history, uh, a man of virtue, a man who had, a, uh, who had the opportunity to become the king of a continent uh, and turned it down because of his dedication to liberty. George Washington also, for most of his life, had a blind spot to slavery. Uh, he couldn't understand why his slaves wouldn't work as hard on his land as he did. He literally couldn't, he couldn't get it into his head. By the end of his life, Washington had under, understood that these people wanted the same liberty that he wanted, and he was the one founder who uh, set his slaves free at the end of his life in his in his will. That's a that's a complex history, but it's still a history that recognizes that if a man as great and as virtuous and as committed to liberty held slaves, then we who are lesser men would have done the same or worse. And that's the true lesson that we learn from that, that it, you live in your time, we are blind uh, to facts, things that are acceptable in our time that won't be acceptable later, all of us, every single one of us, forever and ever. That's always going to be true. But when you teach people that the only thing to know about George Washington is that he was a slaver, uh, that he was somehow evil, you have stripped them of their history, you've stripped them of their knowledge of American virtue, which is the virtue of individual liberty, the commitment to indiv individual liberty. Uh, and you've stripped them of the facts. You've stripped them of the truth of what it means to be a human being in your time. And that's what the academy has been doing to our children since really since the 1960s, 1970s. And these are the results is that we have an ignorant generation, a generation who hates their own country, who thinks their country is oppressive and has never been anywhere else, has never been. When people tell me that America uh, is a racist country, I tell them America is the the least, literally the least racist country on earth that has the multi-ethnic population that it has. There's nowhere else in, in uh, the world where a black man or a, a minority person can work his way up to the very top, including the presidency of this country, uh, because of people's basically loosey-goosey attitude toward race and our attitude that we are bound together, unlike other countries, by a creed instead of by a bloodline. So, you know, they've, they've just been lying to us. And it, it really is when, when you suddenly 
have the New York Times telling us, oh, that Mount Rushmore <laughs> celebrates slaveholders, the, the level of stupidity and ignorance coming from what used to be our greatest newspaper uh, is, is shocking. It, it really is. And if they express a different opinion, their 20-year-old reporters stage a revolt and the editorial staff caves in. So uh, they're really being run by the most ignorant uh, people in the country. I think uh, possibly the generation that you might call traditional liberal, um, you know, who might be writing at the New York Times, I think must be absolutely stunned, surely, at this new generation that they have in some ways spawned, you know, of what I would call cultural totalitarians. Yeah, well, you know, they call it progressivism, and I always say it's progressive like emphysema, you know, it just gets worse and worse. And the, and the thing is, if you believe that history is on this march uh, into progress and everything that comes next is going to be better than what came before, then you're always kind of on the spot, aren't you? When the young person comes in and says, oh, you're old, you're, you know, you don't know what the newest thing is, you've got to cave in. Whereas if you believe in tradition, if you believe uh, in the kind of idea that our, our traditions, we should change in keeping with our traditions, change in keeping with our values, then the older people have a certain level of wisdom to, and can say to the younger people, you know, why don't you wait until you actually know something, until you've actually lived, until you've actually seen some other places and know how bad things can be before you tell me that we should destroy everything we've built here. Uh, that's that's the problem with progressivism is the older people are always being tossed out in favor of the latest radicalism. And, you know, these people riding in the streets and protesting in the streets, they've got nothing. They've got nothing to replace America with. Uh, the Marxism that they put forward has been tried and failed. Every single place it's been tried, it has gone down the drain. And yet, and yet they keep pushing it on it as, as if they have some moral standing uh, that is higher than our ideas. Our ideas obviously are imperfect in that they are lived out by human beings who are always imperfect. But the ideas are great. The ideas of America are great. And they want to throw them away for things that we don't even, you know, that have failed everywhere. So it's just, it's just this ignorance that the idea of progressivism actually supports ignorance. It supports the next radical idea instead of saying, no, we've learned something over the years and our traditions are important and we should change in keeping with those traditions. thing is that... Yes, exactly. I, the, the point is really what, what strikes me so much here, Andrew, is that you, you have pushback against this in America in the sense that, for example, uh, the president recently announced, did he not, uh, no more funding for sort of critical race theory inspired courses. I'm talking about unconscious bias training, things like that. Um, the chances of that happening here in England are virtually nil. I mean, you, 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 you at least have got somebody, you know, who's actually has got up now on two or three occasions and done a very good analysis of what we're facing in our countries. Um, I wonder, could you explain to me, when it comes to what he announced, is that federal funding? Does that mean that the states can still fund this stuff if they want to? Yes, we have a lot of, uh, our, our federal system gives the states a lot of power. And with schooling, we have a lot of local power because schools are funded by local property taxes. But uh, there's also a lot of federal money, especially in the universities and especially in terms of loans to students. And so if they can cut off the federal uh, funding for these institutions, it will have a major effect. 
It's really important to know to note, Peter, because I know a lot of people in Europe make fun of Donald Trump, and he's a great big character, and he's got great big flaws and all this. But it <laughs> a long time ago, I wrote an article about how the left abuses our good manners, because nobody wants to stand up and say, you know, Black Lives Matter stinks, because it sounds like you're saying Black Lives don't matter. Everybody has they use our good manners in order to force this leftist philosophy down our throats. Donald Trump has bad manners, and he has been an insulting, uh, garrulous, you know, uh, you know, uh, fighter for things all his life. And he's got a big mouth, and he says a lot of things that even the people who support him most, uh, make, they make us blush. It took a guy like this to stand up to these people. And if it's not happening in England, it's because you guys are more polite than we are. But, but it is the... It takes a certain amount of rudeness and hard-heartedness to stand against a movement that drapes itself in virtue. And so some of the things that are most alienating about Donald Trump, even to me, even to people who support him, some of the things that are most alienating about him are also most necessary about him. And the fact that he is standing up to this critical race theory, which is absolute garbage, it's absolute nonsense, it has no uh, scientific backing, it has no uh, proof in, inside itself, it is self-contradictory. The fact that he is standing up to them is a measure of both his courage, but also his, his just, uh, I'm looking for the word, his uh, pugnacious, his pugnacious personality. And so, even though I understand why people kind of roll their eyes at Donald Trump, this has been a necessary thing. And he's not a fascist. He's not an authoritarian. He's been the opposite of an authoritarian. He has maintained our federal system even in this pandemic. He's not any of those things, but what he is is a big mouth. He's a big, big rude mouth, you know, and, I, and he, we needed that to break the mesmeric grip of this philosophy that has lived as if it were virtue. It's lived by using our politeness and our good manners and our goodwill, uh, and it is fed on those things in order to spread a hateful, hateful, enslaving philosophy. I think, uh, I think you're being very kind, Andrew, when you say we're too polite here. I'd, I'd say it's lack of conviction, actually. Um, I'm afraid uh, Boris Johnson is not Donald Trump. Uh, that's becoming clearer by the day. But um, I have to ask you this, obviously, you're being asked it a lot at the moment. Do you think he will win in November? You know, right now, I have to say, I would put it at a 50-50 chance. And if, if I were just going by my gut instinct, I would say he was going to win in a landslide. I, I would say he was going to win everything but uh, New York and California. That's my gut instinct. However, the polls have consistently shown Biden ahead. And the reason I am a little bit reluctant to just dismiss the polls or shrug them off is because the polls showed that Obama was going to win. And I could not believe that a man who had done such a bad job, Obama was a complete incompetent, uh, and that he that a man who had done such a bad job and was in fact corrupt would be reelected. But he was reelected exactly as the polls said he would would be. So it's just entirely possible that my gut instinct that people are not going to elect a brain dead uh, guy like Joe Biden, who even when he was still sentient, was a dishonest and stupid individual uh, who has done nothing in his almost 50 years in government uh, that has been beneficial to anybody. 
uh, it's hard for me to believe that the people would elect him, but the polls consistently show him ahead. They have been narrowing lately. They've been narrowing in the battleground states, which is very important because of our electoral system. And so uh, it's, I would put it at 50-50. The debates begin next week. Joe Biden is a good debater, uh, and he's not as senile as we like to pretend he is. We, we make fun of him because he is, he's losing some kind of step, mental step. But I think the debates are going to be interesting because he has not taken a press question at all during the entire campaign. And when he takes a press question, when on those rare occasions when he takes a press question, they are either scripted questions or they have been such softballs as to be an embarrassment to our corrupt journalistic community. So they ask him, they've literally asked him questions about the state of Donald Trump's soul. You know, what do you think the state of Donald Trump's soul is, Mr. Biden? You know, that's, that's the kind of thing they ask him, where, of course, they're asking Donald Trump, just how big a fascist are you? So the, that kind of thing I don't think is going to stand up when they're both on a stage together. And I think that Donald Trump is not the Donald Trump who ran in 2016. He's a, he, look, Donald Trump is not a well-read man. He's not a man who studies documents, but he is a guy who learns on the job. He is not the same guy he was in 2016. He now knows about the job of being president. I think he's going to do a better job in the debates than he did before uh, when he was very good then too. And I, I just think this is going to be a, a crucial moment, a crucial chance for the voters to actually see Joe Biden as he is. He has hidden away in his cellar. He really does. He really has. He doesn't come out. He never takes questions. And yet the press continues to tell us if he can walk and chew gum at the same time. They tell us what a great statesman he is. And the fact is, he's been dishonest all, all this time. A new report has come out from Senate committees about what his son Hunter Biden was doing while he was, while Joe Biden was in the vice presidency, the level of corruption in the Ukraine, the money he was taking from Russian agents, from Chinese agents, with Joe Biden's knowledge, even though Biden later claimed that he never talked to him about it, uh, is staggering. It's staggering, the stuff that's coming out. And yet, Biden has managed, because of the corrupt press, he has managed to keep all the focus on the flaws and foibles of Donald Trump, which are, some of which are real. Uh, and so it's going to be an interesting moment when they when he actually has to come out of the cellar. I do not know. I don't think he's going to sit there and, and fumble around like he has. But I do not know if he's going to be able to stand withstand any kind of real scrutiny at all. Uh, so I, I don't know what to tell you. My gut instinct is that Trump is going to win. The polls say Biden is still ahead and the polls have not been as wrong as I would like to think they have been, although sometimes they have uh, that, that. I know that's a a foggy question, but I'm not, uh, I don't know the future any more than anyone else. No, no, but I mean, there is this sort of thing as well, this phenomenon of what you might call shy Trump voters. I mean, people who are not going to say, it was just the same with Brexit. And, it, you know, right up to the very end, it was, it was always that Remain was going to win um, because the, 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 the establishment view was such and it was so pervasive that people obviously didn't want to say, oh, yes, you know, I'm actually voting Brexit. They, they kept it to themselves. Um, OK, no civil war, maybe. But um, there is this view. You say this is somebody we needed, right? A street fighter, I think, is, is what, you would, what, what you would say. Um, I have heard friends say, you know, actually, Donald Trump is the only thing, actually, between us and the further fall of Western culture, actually. And I, I, yeah. 
Do you would you agree with that? I, I think I think uh, it is true that he has been a bulwark against the slow creep of the what we call here the deep state. We we have got a true problem here where our legislature has fobbed off its job on a bureaucracy. So there are very few laws passed in America anymore. They're not really do our senators and our, our congressmen don't really do anything. They don't negotiate with each other. They don't compromise. They don't pass laws. They basically pass things like the Obamacare bill, which is so long that no one's ever read it. No one has read the Obamacare bill, including the Supreme Court. They actually said, we can't read this. It would be torture. You can't ask us to read this. If you have a law that no one can read, you're not a free people. You're not a free people unless you can actually look at the law. So what they do is they say, oh, well, the agencies will take care of it. So the agencies then make these regulations which have the force of law. If you don't like the reg regulations, who do you appeal to? The agency. Who decides whether the agency regulation is good? The agency does. And the Supreme Court has passed rulings saying, yes, you have th that's the way you have to do it. So our, our system is actually very broken. And what Donald Trump has done is he is he is such a stone in their shoe because he basically has said things are not working right. And there was almost the old joke used to be that the Democrats would propose that they destroy America within six months and the Republicans would say, no, no, let's make it a year. And the Republicans would consider that a victory. And what Donald Trump has said, no, let's not destroy America at all. Let's bring America back. Let's make America great again. And that idea that we're not going to be a global society, that we're going to live by American rules in America, that America is going to have sovereignty, just like the, the people who wanted to leave the EU wanted sovereignty for Britain. Those are the things that are driving the people in the FBI and the people in the CIA crazy. This is why the deep state has done everything they can to take him down. So yes, I think that Donald Trump, part, for a number of reasons, has become the spokesman for Western civilization, which I will tell you is the greatest civilization that has ever existed on the face of the earth. Europe, from about 1500 to 1915, was the single greatest human achievement in social and political uh, life that has ever existed on the face of the earth. And insofar as America is the descendant of that uh, civilization, it is a great civilization in and of itself that is spreading those ideas. As Rome spread the ideas of Greece, America is spreading the ideas of Britain around the world and is bringing people in to spread those ideas and is going outward to spread those ideas. Those are great ideas. There are no better ideas. There are no better ideas than freedom, uh, than, than liberty, than religious liberty. There are no better ideas. So the idea that we should quail or, or have some uh, embarrassment because we are Westerners, because we believe in the West, because we believe in the English-speaking peoples, because we believe in the uh, parliamentary governance of Britain as it has re-expressed itself in the uh, congressional uh, politics of America, that, that we should somehow quail and tremble and be shy about that. Uh, is something that has to go. And Trump, with his belligerence and his pugnaciousness, has given some uh, juice to people who feel like I feel that, no, we should be defending this against the left. We should be ignoring the left. We should be sniffing at the left. You know, when, when listen, black people were abused in this country. They were mistreated in this country. And so we do have to ask them to give us grace so that they can now become part 
of the great history of this country. They have always been part of it, but they want to be an equal part of it. And fair enough, that's what we all believe should happen. And that's what would happen now if the left would stop telling them that they're not welcome. Okay, so we need we needed the energy to say to people, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about what what happened in the past. I can't solve the past. I can't fix the past. The past is past. All I can do is welcome you in now. And if you are going to insist that America is evil because of the past, if you're going to insist that you are a victim because of the past, then I can't help you. There's nothing I can do. You have to take care of yourself. You have to join the many, many people who have come to this country and made good and become Americans. You now have to make that leap as well. And so Donald Trump is the the belligerent, pugnacious voice of the, a pride that really we were missing. And, and I say that as a, as a person who has many times acknowledged his flaws as a person and as a spokesman, uh, it, I'm, I'm sorry that the person speaking for our values isn't Abraham Lincoln or even Ronald Reagan, but we don't live in that culture anymore. We live in a brash, ugly, vile culture. It's a culture that created Donald Trump and it created the left, and they're going to have to fight it out on the level of our vocabulary today. And I'm sorry that's happening. I wish we all had more gracefulness. I wish we all had more eloquence. I wish we all had more civility. But it's not going to be that only one side has civility. It's not going to be only that only the defenders of the West uh, have civility while the left burns everything down. That's not the way this is going to shake out. And so Donald Trump, yes, has been a bulwark uh, in that sense. Well, beautifully put, if I may say, uh, Andrew. Um, When it comes to the election in November, maybe if you are there, we can talk to you again, uh, you know, either before or after. Are you actually going to be, what, what are your plans for the election? I mean, with the Daily Wire, for example, will you be coming out of Washington or, or what will be happening? Well, I'm, I'm going to still be in L.A. I still have work to do here. I still have relatives here that I want to be close to uh, for various reasons. And so I'm still going to be in Los Angeles. Everyone will be in Los Angeles for the election, I believe. Uh, so we'll still be here. And uh, I always like talking to you because you dress better than anyone else I know. So, <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much. And I mean, basically, uh, we will be talking again, I, I do hope. And um, in the meantime, enjoy the debates, won't you? Uh, <laughs> thank uh, you. Yes, I, I, I will. It should be really interesting. Thank you very much. Andrew. Thank you. Uh, that was Andrew Clavin. Uh, great to speak to him again. Um, that's all from so what you're saying is this week. So. Uh, We'll see you again next week. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.